If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Romans, to Romans chapter 3 as we continue on in our great, great study of this letter that um, is so glorious in terms of the detail, the majesty, the precision of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the happy news about Jesus. Consequences this morning of justification by faith. What are consequences of justification by faith? We'll start there in Romans 3, there in verse 27, where we stopped last Lord's Day, and uh, we will study down uh, to the end of the chapter, verse 31. The word of the Lord from Romans 3, 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We pray for your power, your spirit's aid, that he will guide us in to this great gospel truth. Lord, we pray we will see clearly, we will understand. Oh, Lord, we will receive eagerly your word. We thank you for the great salvation that you have given to us. We thank you for our great Savior, King, and Lord. Thank you that Christ bore, his, bore our sins in his body on the tree. We thank you that you have granted us in Christ everything we need for life and godliness. And so we pray today that you would build up your body and we pray that you would um, find your church faithful. And Lord, even as we just sang, uh, Lord, you are the great God and that we would glorify you in our thoughts and words and deeds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Consequences of justification by faith. I'm a football fan, particularly college, more so than pro, but I have over the years followed uh, I'd rather watch pro football than nothing, you know, and um, this past week I was reading, uh, following along with Frank Reich's firing from the Carolina Panthers. He is a remarkable coach from a couple of perspectives. He is a past pastor, and he is um, a very uh, committed Christian, and um, nonetheless, he was fired this past week, and I love what he said about his firing it's so apt for our text today. Quote, this is Frank Reich, Carolina Panthers head coach fired, I believe it was last Monday. 
Quote, I want to convey that I have nothing but positive thoughts about Mr. Tepper. Mr. Tepper owns the Carolina Panthers. I want to convey that I have nothing but positive thoughts about Mr. Tepper, Reich told the Charlotte Observer. On a personal level, I saw a side of him that I deeply respect and care about. But the NFL is a meritocracy. It is not unconditional love. The NFL is a meritocracy. By the way, the place you work, let me just be a, there'll be some employers say, preach it, brother. It's a meritocracy. It's not unconditional love. In other words, if you're supposed to be there tomorrow morning at 6.30, you know, be there at 6.20, but don't be there at 6.40, right? Because it's a meritocracy, and most of the world operates as a meritocracy. Classrooms. You go to the teacher and you say, I want an A. You know what I hope she tells you? Plant yourself in a chair with the books and study. You play on the baseball team or you play on the football team. And let me just go ahead and save you some time. You want some playing time. You want to tell you how you get playing time? Be the best. Work the hardest. That's how the world works. And that's okay, right? You want to make the A, you study. But this kind of thinking, listen, stay with me, is not at all how God's salvation plan works. That bears repeating, and we have to hear that because we will bring over the way the classroom works and the baseball field works and the company works and the football team works, and we will think, if I work really hard, then God will be pleased with me. And by the way, that's exactly, that would sort of be a good general central truth of our sermon this morning, consequences of justification by faith. We find people in the Bible thinking that way and us getting that account and Jesus correcting as Jacob read. And then listen, I love this. This one comes to mind all the time when I think about meritocracy and that tendency we have when you think about Bible passages. Do you remember the rich young ruler? Remember reading about the rich young ruler? What he says is profound. Matthew 19, 16, teacher. What good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Nothing. Receive it. By the way, Jesus put his finger on the rich young young ruler's God, didn't he? called him to make a decisive decision. So consequ- uh, consequences of justification by faith, and we want to unpack this from just a very short passage this morning, and then I want you to think about the verse we'll close with, then we're going to proclaim our faith in Christ as we have the ordinance of the supper. We're going to keep doing that until he comes or calls us home. So what are the consequences of justification by faith? Well, number one, therefore boasting 
has no place in the Christian life or in the church. Therefore, boasting, here's the first consequence we encounter in verse 27, has no place in the Christian life or in the church. Look at verse 27. The Apostle Paul does something he's done a lot in the letter, but he hasn't done this lately. He, re- he returns to the diatribe style. He gives us these questions over and over, and it's almost like there's this probably Jewish questioner that he calls out. So he's back to this questioning. Where then is boasting? If salvation is by... So turn back, put your finger on um, where we are in verse 27. Look back at verse 24. Being justified as a gift. Salvation, God's right standing in God's sight, in God's courtroom, being justified as a gift. It's a gift. It's by God's grace, and it's in the finished work of Christ through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, verse 24. So if that's the case, if that's how, we remember we talked last week, that passage is about God saving righteousness, how God saves sinners. Well, if that's the way God saves sinners, Here's a question he would say, hey, class, who wants to stand up and brag? Where then is boasting? And he answers this question. It is excluded by what kind of law of works? So, and he's going to contrast these two kinds of laws. By what kind of law? Is it a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. So there's two kinds of law. There's the law of works. Now look back to verse 20, chapter 3. If you decide that's the road you want to run on, that's the circle you want to move in, if you want to accomplish it by works, well, listen to what God's Word says. Romans 3.20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. What flesh? No flesh will be justified by works in God's sight. But then this law of faith. So I want you to think about this question. Where then is boasting? And this gets at, the, if it, we talked about the meritocracy. If it's by your effort, by your initiative, by your intellect, by your work that something happens, who gets the glory? I mean, really, if you go run the race and you win the race, you stand on the medal stand, right? Now, by the way, let's just, we'll correct that thinking. Our next heartbeat is what? It's all from him, through him, and for him. But if the meritocracy, at least you can say, you were the fastest runner, and that, that brings boasting. Where then is boasting? Listen, it is excluded. Boasting says, look at what I have accomplished. I love what Dr. Schreiner said about this. Think about our right standing. This is so powerful. Righteousness, right standing in God's courtroom. Righteousness is received, not achieved. If we're going to have right standing in God's sight, we're going to have to receive God's salvation, God's grace, God's gift. Righteousness is received, not achieved. Where then is boasting? Well, what is boasting? What's at the root of boasting? Well, pride is the root. I like what Peter Kreft said about pride. Pride is the greatest sin. It comes not from the world or the flesh, but from the devil. It comes from hell. It was the devil's original sin, perhaps only sin for a pure spirit. Pride was also Adam's and therefore our original sin. 
the, the desire to be like God, over the law rather than under it. It is the first and greatest sin because it is the violation of the first and greatest commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Pride puts itself before God. Pride loves yourself with all your heart and soul and mind and strength rather than God. Where then is boasting, right? So the the proud heart is the boasting heart. C.S. Lewis, by the way, this is James Montgomery's Boyce's commentary, and he's got a great Lewis quote in there about boasting and about pride. Listen to this. There, this is from C.S. Lewis. There's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine, ever imagine that they are gift, guilty themselves. I have heard people, Lewis says, admit that they are bad-tempered, or that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drink, or even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who was not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular And no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking of is pride. He goes on. Two more paragraphs. Lewis described pride as, quote, essentially competitive. Competitive by its very nature. While the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. The Christians are right. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunk people or unchaste people. But pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. Man, that's convicting. And so, this first consequence of justification by faith is to say, you know what, completely out of bounds for us is bragging, is boasting. Where then is boasting? It is excluded What kind of law? No, of works, because we didn't work to be saved. Salvation is, no, but by a law of faith. And so if or since salvation in this passage, verse 24, we just looked at it, is a gift. If it's by grace, if it's by, we talked last week, by divine initiative, it's by divine power, then there's no basis for bragging. Salvation is a divine achievement. So I always think through this lens. 
if you, so I, 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 I picture, um, you know, we just had the Thanksgiving gathering. We're blessed to have Christmas gathering. We get together at those times. And I always think about, um, I, I grew up, and I'd see it on a lot of um, Sunday lunches, but I don't know how old I was, but it just occurred to me, when you sat down at a table to eat, a lot of pre-work had happened, right? A whole lot of pre-work. Sometime on Saturday, early on Sunday morning, all this pre-work had happened. And here would have been, here'd be a good illustration at this point. What do you say growing up, my, mama, my mama, great cook, what do you think if I sat down there on a Sunday after church, as I did Sunday after Sunday, and there's the, I mean, the fried chicken, you know, there's the praise the Lord, and there's those vegetables and the mashed potato, all that spread, how do y'all think this was going? I looked at my daddy and I said, Daddy, I want to thank you for this. What do y'all think? He, like I, had done one thing for this lunch. Show up. Just mark this. The one who does the work gets the glory. And as it relates to our standing with God, it's clear God has done all the work. And it's not that God worked and we worked. God has done all the work. He's done all the work. So consequences of justification by faith, number one, boasting has no place. Lord, rooted out of my life, rooted out of your church, rooted out of each of us, boasting has no place in the Christian life or in the church. Number two, look at verse 28. Here's a second consequence. Therefore, faith and faith alone justifies one in God's sight. Therefore, faith and faith alone justifies one in God's sight. Look at verse 28 of Romans 3. For we maintain, this is where we draw the line. Here's the gospel. Here's the way to God. For we maintain that a man is justified. Listen, declared right with God, reconciled to God. A man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So I, I love what he does here. This is cool. Look at verse 28. We maintain that a man is justified. That's present tense, to be declared, to be declared right before God. Drop down to verse 28. Since, I'm sorry, verse 30. I'm in verse 28. Go to verse 30. Since indeed God, who will justify? So he just told us in verse 28, a man is justified, present tense. Right now, if you're in Christ, you have been declared and you're in, you've been declared right before God and you are in a right relationship with God. And I love what he's saying in verse 30, since indeed God who will justify. That's on the final day. That's yet future for us. On the final day, we will be declared justified or righteous in God's sight. But faith and faith alone, he says in verse 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart. Apart from what? Works of the law. He's got that contrast going. He just told us in verse 27, this law, is it a law of works? No, it's a law of faith. And then verse 28, we maintain a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So there's these two. I don't want to get tripped up here, but I want you to think about it. There's two views of salvation and by the way, in many, many of the churches in our state and neighborhood, it would be that this first erroneous view. Uh, a lot of people believe that salvation is synergistic. It's synergistic. That salvation is brought about by God working with man. 
that it's a synergistic work. Salvation, they believe, is brought about by divine and human cooperation. Well, I want to tell you, the Bible is clear. The view of salvation is correct is monergism. Salvation is solely the work of God. And therefore, that answers, that explains, for we maintain that a man is justified, declared to be in right standing before God. A man is justified by faith, by receiving this gift, apart from any works of the law. By the way, a lot of people have a view that'll make, I want you to stay with me on this, that'll make faith a work. Faith is not a work we do. Faith is the human response. When, When one is born, one is then able to trust No works. No one saved by works. No works that bring one to God. So consequences of justification by faith. Well, first of all, boasting is out of place. Second, faith and faith alone justifies one in God's sight. Third, therefore God is validated. He's proven. He's revealed to be the only true God. And he has to be if he's God. Do y'all, did y'all catch in the hymn we were singing, he created out of naught, out of nothing? Amen. Well, here, here's one of the consequences of justification by faith. Therefore, God has proven he's validated to be the only true God. Look at verse 29 and 30. Remember, he's back asking, and by the way, I don't think this is a, a, a real particular Jewish man that he's asking, but boy, if he is, he's getting, Paul's just hammering in me. Where then is boasting? By what kind of law? And he hits him again. Look at the questions in verse 29. Or is God the God of Jews only? Now, by the way, that won't work if God's who he is, but he's only God of the Jews. So here's what he, verses 29 and 30 is a declaration of monotheism. There's one God. And he's the God of the Bible, and he's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he's enthroned above the heavens. And He's making that point. Is God the God of Jews only? No. Next question. Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. So I want you to think what he's he's telling us here is that since God is God, since God is sovereign, and if he's sovereign, then what people is he sovereign over? It would have to be, okay, let me ask you this. Which creatures is God sovereign over? If you're sovereign, you're, over sovereign, you're sovereign over everything you've made, you own, and that you control. So let me ask you, do you think God is just sovereign over the Jews? Then, by the way, that would mean that, wouldn't it have to mean that someone else is sovereign over the rest of the peoples? And so if God is going to save and he's sovereign over all, let me ask you, do you think he's going to save Jews one way and Gentiles another way? But if, he's, if there's one God, he's going to save people that he saves what? One way. That's what he's saying here. It's, it's, is God the God of Jews only? No. Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. And then here's his point. Since indeed, God who will justify the uncircumcised, I'm sorry, will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. And I really think this is hitting on, and we talk about there's application. Uh, He's really singling out the Jews here because they're saying, I just hope you know we have God's word and we have the covenant sign 
of circumcision. And Paul is saying, having God's word is a blessing. And the covenant sign has a place, but none of those will reconcile one to God. The way of salvation is consistent. I love this. God who will justify. Jews and Gentiles are reconciled the same way. All have equal access to God. He does not save Jews one way and Gentiles another way. The dividing wall has been torn down. By the way, what was God's purpose? I'm just, I'm coming through that in Genesis now. What was his purpose in justifying that? We'll jump ahead next week. Abraham wasn't a Jew. He was a pagan. There were no Jews. How did Abraham get right standing with God? Justification by faith. It's the same. Isn't that cool? All have equal access to God. He does not save Jews one way and Gentiles another. Listen to this verse. We know it. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you're going to be justified, and I'm going to be justified, we're going to come by way of Jesus. So the third consequence is God is validated. He's proven, it's revealed that he's the only true God. Fourth consequence, therefore God's justification of sinners empowers obedience to the law. Therefore, God's justification of sinners empowers obedience to the law. Now, let me tell you how you could take this, what, what he's already said a little bit out of context and show you how you could get off track. It'd be like, hey, man, you might say this. He's really, really pointed out how the law, you could almost say, you could misunderstand it. You see how the law is a bad thing? See how the law won't save? Let me tell you, the law is not a bad thing. But it's in its proper place. And so look at verse 31. God's justification of sinners, sinners empowers obedience to the law. Well, verse 31 of Romans 3. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Do we set it aside? Does, is, it, is it proven to be useless? Do we nullify the law through faith? Well, he, he's full of questions in this passage, and he's full of very clear answers. May it never be an emphatic response. Listen, on the contrary, we establish the law. So what is the continuing role of the law? Well, the error, since salvation is by faith, then one might think that the law serves no purpose. And by the way, that leads to, and you encounter it a lot, antinomian way of thinking. Hey, since, since Christ has fulfilled the law and we're not under the law, let's what? Let's party. Forget that law. No, 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 that's not so. I love so beautiful, man, Scripture so precise. God's always 100,000 moves ahead of us. There's this continuity and discontinuity with the Old Testament law. So rest assured, he's saying, and he's said it very clear, the law will not save. But rest assured, the law has a place in the life of the believer. It's just so beautiful. So faith alone, I, I love it, it's frequently said, I don't know who said it first, Faith alone justifies, but faith is never alone. Faith alone justifies, but you will never find faith alone. When you find genuine faith, you will find obedience. You will find fruit. You will find 
Obedience to the law, living under the law, rejoicing in the law. There will always be evidence. We know this. It's all over the Bible. Listen to this from 1 John 5, 3. Let me just mention this about 1 John 5, 3 before I tell you 1 John 5, 3. 1 John 5, 18 tells us why 1 John was put in the Bible. This could be an encouragement to um, if you're struggling with a lack of assurance or you're struggling with doubting your salvation. Um, I have frequently been there. These things I've written to you who believe. This is so amazing. These things I've written to you who believe so that you might know that you have eternal life. How good is God that he would save us? And by the way, I know it bears repeating you. You've told us that before, David. I'm going to keep telling you this. It's a miracle that God would save anyone. And by the way, couldn't God save a few people? By the way, couldn't he save no one and be God? Absolutely. Totally. But if he was going to save some people, couldn't he save some people and just say, you know what, I'm just going to wait until the last day and then I'll make evident who I've saved. He could do that, couldn't he? His business. No, no, no. God is so glorious to save and these things I've written to you who believe so that you might know that you have eternal life. Here's what I'll tell you. God wants you to walk in the fullness of Christ. He wants you to know Christ. He wants you to be his child and know that you belong to him. What a blessing. And then he tells us in 1 John 5, 3, this about the law. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. I thought we threw the law out the window at the last stop. That's not the gospel. For this is the love of God. Here, How do we love God? Well, you stand up in front of a room and you cry a bucket of tears and tell people how you feel about God. No. I mean, you can, but that's not biblically loving God. You know what biblically loving God looks like? Obeying his word joyfully. By the way, not as a means. He's beat us over the head with that, so we'll hear it. Right? So that work will lead us to God? No. Since we've received this great gift of salvation, since God has poured his grace out on us, and through this redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, zap, we meet God, we're reconciled to God, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, we get up from that and we demonstrate that we belong to him and we love him by obeying him. That's what he's saying in verse 31. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. That is good, good word. I like what Schreiner said here. The moral norms of the law still function as the authoritative will of God for the believer. Amen. I got more of that quote. I tell you what comes to mind. I remember way back in the day, I um, was um, in pharmaceutical sales, one of my big customers in a town not too far from here, and he always loved to talk to me about the Christian life and what was going on in his church, prominent deacon, um, you know, in one of those towns, like the big First Baptist Church, he's like, and so anyway, I've known him for years, and then for several years, I called on him, went into management, I'd still go in there with my rep and call on him, and um, so I go in there, and they're like, well, hey, and he had had a very young nurse practitioner, about 15 years younger than him, been working for him. Anyway, I go in there, and it's like, hey, I'm, they pull me aside, like, hey, you need to know this, um, he divorced his wife, God told him to divorce her, and to marry that young nurse practitioner. 
And simultaneously, God told her to divorce her husband and marry Dr. I'm not going to tell you his name. I'm going to tell you, something was speaking, but it wasn't God. Tell you something. If I love Jesus, I'll love Stephanie. And let me just tell you this. If I'm not loving Stephanie right, I'm not loving Jesus rightly. We don't throw the law out the window. And by the way, that kind of stuff, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. You've seen it. Go on, haven't you? Yeah, I just live like a hellion when it's convenient for me, but I'm a good follower of Christ. South Alabama vernacular, that dog won't hunt. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. And so God's not going, he's not going to save a bunch of people. That's not who he is. That's the, boy, wouldn't that be a weak salvation if then we live just like we lived before? That's not honoring to Christ. So what? Schreiner said there, the moral norms of the law still function as the authoritative will of God for the believer. The idea is not precisely that the law is fulfilled by faith in Christ, but rather that those who have faith in Christ will keep the law. That is good. Preaching. Obedience flows from our justification. All right, let's summarize here. Doing the word. Four summary points and then our response through the ordinance of the supper. First of all, see God's goodness. How glorious that he saves sinners. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, I know we've heard it. And we've heard it and we heard it. And we lo- it loses its shine. See God's goodness. How glorious that he saves sinners. Second, deal decisively with the pride in our hearts and humble ourselves before God. Deal decisively with the pride in our hearts and humble ourselves before God. Listen to another word from Crift. Peter Crift, quote, the song they will all sing in hell is the hymn to pride, I did it my way. The song they will all sing in heaven is the hymn of humility. King David's song, quote, I would rather be a doorkeeper, doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Listen to what he says. Listen to these last two sentences here. Pride looks down, and no one can see God but, but, but by looking up. He says, pride has ingrown eyeballs. What a picture. Pride has ingrown eyeballs. Deal decisively with the pride in our hearts and humble ourselves before God. Third, rest in Christ. Justification by faith. So we're justified by grace through faith. Well, if that's the case, we don't have to work. Rest. Let me tell you what our culture is right now. Anything but rest. Rest in Christ Our hope is found, and by the way, I will correct myself here. Rest in Christ, our hope is found in Him. So therefore, let's trust in Him. So I've got there, we would correct that. Our hope is found in trusting Him. Yes, our justification is by faith in that, but our hope is found in Him. Rest in Christ. Finally, glorify God for every blessing we have received. You said we did that back on Thanksgiving Sunday. We need to keep on doing that. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. 
by what kind of law of works? No, but a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified. I picture, you see, we, we, we see this in, um, in major news event kind of trials. Any of y'all old enough to remember the um, OJ trial? You're like, I'm trying to forget it, David. I remember the white Bronco. I don't know how old I was then, but I remember that white Bronco all over Los Angeles. And I remember that trial, but it's like, I, I, you know, hanging there in the courtroom. Uh, we just saw um, what a tragic verdict that was to kill a mockingbird. And uh, they're waiting on that verdict. And I picture all of us, they're waiting on that verdict. And Romans 3.28 says, no, here's the gospel. God's courtroom has rendered the verdict. And the verdict that has come down from the divine supreme court where there's no appeal, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And you know how it goes in those courtrooms where big verdicts come down. There, by the way, what does the judge have to tell people? I already have to read that verse. I'm going to tell you, I'm about to read a verse. But for those of you in Christ, I want you to calm down. I want you to calm down because when I hear that, there's not going to be any outburst. We don't have any bailiffs here. But when we really understand that in God's courtroom, the gavel has hit. And based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, God looks at us and says, we have been justified in his sight. I promise you wouldn't be like, well, honey, praise the Lord for that. No, we'd be down on our knees. I tell you, when I get to heaven, I'm going to do. You're going to fall on your face, and I am too, and we're going to glorify his great name. Where then is boasting? I'll tell you who I know. You don't understand the gospel is out of bounds, excluded. Somebody go over there and help that brother. He has lost his mind. He's boasting. What kind of law of works? Yeah, the one who did the work. Hey, we want to glorify the one who did the work, don't we? We want to live for his glory. Let's pray and we'll talk about the supper. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that um, we are saints because of Christ, that we have been justified by your grace, by your gift, by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, not the redemption that is in us. It is um, no meritocracy path to being right with you. Even as that coach reminded us, Lord, it is um, you who has, um, you have uh, demonstrated um, unconditional love. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our salvation in Christ. We thank you for our brothers and sisters. We thank you for the body of Christ. We pray as we enter the time of the ordinance that um, we would make much of Jesus. Lord, even as we read, Lord, I pray you would root the pride out of me, out of us. Um, May it be ex- it is excluded. May it be absent um, from our thinking, from our walking, from your body. 
Thank you so much for the Lagos family. Thank you for each and every member. Thank you for the good work you're doing in her. Um, Lord, we bless your name. We magnify your name. We thank you that you are not uh, just the God of Jews only. Oh, you're God over all. And uh, we pray in these moments, Lord, as we have uh, the supper, that, um, Lord, that you would be pleased, you'd be glorified, you'd get all that is due your name. And we pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.